Hey, this is John from Seven Dust and Projected, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another dose of Focus on Metal. Have a returning guest this week. That's right, John Connolly. You heard him up front at the beginning of the show, and he is back with us again this week to talk about the latest release from Projected called Hypoxia. And uh, we actually had John back on the show, I think episode 346, 347, something like that, when uh, they released the prior release, Ignite My Insanity. So if you want to hear that interview, you can uh, go up to focusonmetalpod.com, search for projected, and that should come up. But this week, we are talking with John all about their newest one that just got released in June called Hypoxia. And just like the others, that came out on Rat Pack Records. And all the bundles and good stuff for this, except for the test pressings, are still available. So if you want to get yourself the Deluxe Fan Bundle, or if you want to get the uh, the vinyl, and I should note that the vinyl is actually one that is mastered for vinyl as well. So a nice mastering just for vinyl and it's on purple vinyl. They still have that up there as well. They have Hypoxia on cassette. And, of course, they have it on CD. And there's even a deluxe fan bundle that gives you the vinyl and the cassette and the CD, some guitar picks, some stickers, all kinds of other good crap in there. And those are still available as well. And if you don't have their prior releases, they still do have copies available of Ignite My Insanity as well as the debut Human and you can get all of that and more at ratpackrecordsamerica.com slash projected. And just remember, when you do Rat Pack, it's R-A-T-P-A-K. But uh, before we get into Richie's chat with uh, John Connolly of Projected and Seven Dust, just kind of wanted to mention a little bit about the you know what was up in the news lately, and that is the uh, the reunion of Pantera which uh, I read that the other night and I was like, you have got to be effing kidding me because Richie and I did discuss that a few episodes back, uh, episode called Legacies. And, uh, you know, my thoughts on that at the time were, you know, well, you can go back and listen to it, was basically that, you know, if you were a hardcore Pantera fan, that uh, you were really going to probably be reluctant to want to uh, celebrate that. But uh, then, you know, I think a day or two later, they roll out who the uh, the replacement players were going to be. And I, you know, in saying what I said in Legacies, I never thought that uh, they would talk about having uh, Zach Wilde fill in for, uh, for Dime. And, you know, I read that and I was like, son of a bitch. That's like the one person that I would think would have that kind of integrity and, you know, dedication and all of that and, you know, being a good friend with Dime and all that stuff. It's like, God damn it, they had to pick Zach. And that is a, a tough one to ignore. I'm a little bit more neutral on Charlie. Obviously loved Anthrax for years. Great drummer, all that good stuff. But uh, it's really the focus on on Dime for me. And again, I was like, son of a bitch, like, Really, they had to pick the one guy that I couldn't deny would do a great job doing Dimes parts and doing them honorably and with a major shit ton of respect. So I don't know. I'm going to have to wait and see how this one all plays out. But uh, yeah, definitely, you know, I know what I said back on Legacies and I never, ever expected to see that it was going to be uh a Zach Wilde production. And uh, also, interestingly enough, too, is the fact that Gibson rolled out a uh, a Rex Brown signature Thunderbird bass the same week they announced the, uh, the reunion. So that was a bit interesting as well. And I got to say, very, very tempting bass. If you haven't checked it out, you should go and check that out. The uh, Rex Brown signature Thunderbird. Really great hardware selection on there reflex pickups all that good stuff so definitely a a solid base didn't even have a twinge of desire when they put out the uh the gene simmons signature base but definitely 
this this Rex Brown one, yeah, uh, I'm really digging this one. I know Brian Weed at Tesla is also a big T-Bird fan, so uh, I I wonder if he's going to pick himself up a, a Rex Brown signature as well. Don't think he'd ever use the uh, detuner function on there, but uh, yeah, again, very, very cool bass. And I have no doubt that at some point, probably in the near future, Richie and I will probably be discussing this whole thing. But anyways, just need to get that off of my chest, and why don't we get back onto the program with the intent for this week, and that is Richie sitting down with John Connolly talking all about the brand new release, Hypoxia from projected as well as a bit of band history and uh, you know some of the recording stuff touching into seven dust a lot of stuff these two go through this week so great interview for you and i'm going to kick that off right now hey john how you doing i'm doing good how are you man i'm all right where are you where are you based i i am in orlando okay i'm just outside of boston oh cool yeah nice originally from uh, a little bit further across the pond i'm from ireland oh yeah nice yeah um, yeah uh, Connolly. so yeah i've got quite a quite a bit of family over there yeah have you played there no we haven't um i've been through it when we went through um back when ultra bridge did their i guess it was right before the pandemic like in 2019 they did a run through the united kingdom so we got to um travel with them uh went went to the uk uh, but yeah we've never played ireland so it's definitely on the list okay what other what other parts of the world are on the list that you've never played south america i mean for, it's the weirdest thing in the world like we have attempted and tried multiple times and it's just the planets will not line up for whatever reason so um and it's sort of an unusual one like, like australia we can make a habit of but uh, south america we still have yet to uh set foot so we got to work on that too. Wow, that's weird and really weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have Do you have favorite countries you like to you like to visit, or do you like to do that when you're off the road and maybe go with the family? Um, it kind of depends on what the girls are really into. I mean, I'm I'm trying to get them to commit to the the plane flight to get to Australia because I, it's a fascinating place. Um, but it is a commitment. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you know, a, two days of your life are basically just sitting on a plane. Yeah, you, and you'd, need one, a, you'd need one, a month in Australia, really, to have a look around. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, there's so much to see over there. Uh, it, one of my favorite places, for sure. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, Iceland. Iceland, a cruise to Iceland is what the girls want to do. We went to Alaska a few years back, and uh, now Iceland's on the radar. So. I can't recommend Iceland enough. I spent four days there about ten years ago. It's an amazing place. If you're into scenery, everybody says, yeah, scenery, the same thing. That is the place to go. Okay, good, good. Because <laughs> that'll probably be the next. Like, okay, if we're going to do a big one, that that might be the next one. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit about Projected as as a band. Mm-hmm. Um, you're on your third record now. Is has that been like a I don't know if I'm using the right term, kind of a, a happy accident that it's come later in your career that this has gone off on a tangent now, you've done three records, and or is it something that you always planned that you wanted to branch off into other bands anyway? Uh, I mean, it's sort of both, uh, because I think when I originally, you know, it, my whole path through this business was very similar to Dave Grohl. You know, I, I started as a drummer, um, spent my whole life as a drummer, and then just got frustrated with the songwriting process. You know, I was in a band where it was like, all right, you know, you're trying to get songs and nobody listens to the drummer. And they're like, I know how to play guitar. I'm like, I know how to fret a bar chord and I know how to sit down, you know, I know how to hum a tune. <laughs> so um, it was more born out of frustration than anything. Okay. You know, um, and just, I'm sorry, the voice, I completely spaced here. What, what was the original question? <laughs> Has it been like, has the band been like oh, a happy oh, the, accident? The, the plan or was, thing, it was the a plan thing, yeah. I had intended on doing, you know, as as you pick up the guitar and you write the song, you meet Morgan, I meet Vinny, we go in the studio, and all of a sudden you're the guitar player and the singer, and I was like, I'm not ready to be the singer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm already so out of my element on the guitar. I didn't own a strap, nothing. So the intention was always there. But I remember Morgan looked at me and was like, man, I know this dude who absolutely has like the 
best stage presence. Um, his name's Lejean. And we went and saw him, and I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't think he's going to do it, but 100%. We need that. We need the confidence. We need somebody who's very comfortable in that space. And I, I just wasn't there yet. It was one of those things where it was like, I needed to get my grips on standing up, playing an instrument at the front of the stage. Um, you know, and, and some of the stuff, like the earliest stuff that we had done wasn't super technical, but some of the stuff wasn't easy to play, especially for a guy who had only been playing for a few years. So I think the idea was like, okay, yeah, maybe. Um, but it took me a while. I mean, it, it took me a while before I was comfortable enough singing backups with Lejean, understanding songwriting. You know, you spend that long with such good musicians, it's going to rub off on you, you know. So I think when we took that break before 2012, it was a conscious uh, decision. You know, we were a little burnt. Um, we were coming out of, we had just gotten back with, uh, with Clint, which was great, but we were sort of at the end of a lot of turmoil with uh, the business side of things, you know, a couple lawsuits, you know, and that, that stuff had just dragged out for a while. So we said, why don't we take a break? Let's take six months, just pause for six months. We'll put a window. And then we were like, you know what? We could probably squeeze a year and our fans are going to lose their mind, but they need to break. We need to break. And that was it. That was the moment where everyone sort of said, well, if there's anything else you ever wanted to do, here's the opportunity to do it. So, you know, I guess it was sort of an accident, <laughs> but we all jumped at the opportunity, you know, except for Lejean. It was crazy because you had Morgan and Clint went and they did Call Me No One. And then me and Vinny grabbed Flip and we went and did Projected. And Lejean's like, what's going on here? And of course, the whole world completely implodes. You're like, seven us is over. That's it. That's it. The writing's on the wall. And we were like, no, man, like LJ's actually on the record. You know, like we support each other, like, but this was, at, you know, at the beginning for us, or I, I guess any band who hasn't done those side projects yet, you know, it's a knee jerk reaction for everyone to think that that's it. Um, but it was the farthest thing from the truth. It was just like, okay, let's, let's just see how dumb this will end up being. You know, <laughs> like on the first record, we were like, all right, you know, literally record the whole thing on an inbox in a in a home office you know that threw some drapes up in the closet that was a vocal booth um you know i mean it, it was completely like the way you never should really make music but <laughs> it worked you know and then I'm, I'm sitting there thinking all right well we did mix it we had elvis mix it but you know i don't know man i watched billy eilish and her brother win everything um with a record that they made in the spare bedroom in their parents' house. <laughs> so it's 100% possible to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it just depends on what, you know, I don't think it really depends on what it sounds like as much as if there's good songs there. Um, and we didn't know that there were good songs there until we actually got it sort of like closer to the mixing process. And I remember, you know, because we worked on Elvis, he was like, I don't know if I'm going to have time to do it. You know, it was one of those things where we'd have to squeeze it in. And then he was like, you know what? I do. I, I'll be. I've got ten days where I can jump at this thing, and I was like, "All right, cool." And uh, I sent him the songs, and he was like, "Dude, where have these been?" And I was like, "All right, uh, I'll take that as a compliment." And he's like, "No, man." He's like, "I'm serious." Like, and I was like, "Dude, any piece of music that I ever write um, gets played for everybody. Like, most people that are in both bands have access to the master like Dropbox folder. If you want to go in and you want to hear the songs, they're there. Um, there's a lot of them." You know, and they just exist in there, and sometimes they end up on a Seven Dust record, and sometimes they end up on Projected. See, and sometimes when the song ends up on the other band's record, the other band gets mad. <laughs> see, this, this, you know what I mean? This fascinates me, John, about what you're saying about all the songs being available, because I want to know what form the songs are. Because you said you're a drummer and you play guitar, so you're probably putting bass on it. And you're putting vocals on it as well. It's a complete song that's in the Dropbox or the skeleton um, of the no, song? No, it's, it's even further than that. I mean, it's way further than that. Usually I've got a, most of my Dropbox set. Like if you go into the session, I've probably got 20, 24 tracks with programming, strings, and there's probably some vocals on everything. I always have vocal tracks down at the bottom. You know, sometimes it's caveman. Sometimes there's no words at all. Sometimes it's just gibberish you know sometimes yeah. it's absolutely terrible and it's never going to make it onto the song but at least it was part of the process and they're there but no no i mean I, it's 
it's crazy. Like I've, um, as I get closer to the record, typically I'll only write up to what we call like the bridge or the middle eight section. Um, because those things are fun to dive in with the band. You know, it's fun when you get the drums there and you're like, all right, let's, let's get something. What groove are we going for here? Um, but when I'm not close to the record, I usually write that part and I write it all the way out. So, I mean, and most of these are literally like from intro to stop, you know, um, that's the thing about it was like two years with the pandemic, you know, I was like, all right, well, I can't do the one part of my career that, you know, does a lot, helps pay a lot of the bills, but I can do the other part. So I went down the rabbit hole, you know, it was just like, all right, let me, let me get to work on a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, take the deep dive and, and see if we can just finish songs from A to Z. You know, and you start going through that process and then you just start packing them into the Dropbox folder. And, you know, I'm not exaggerating. There's probably 80 or 90 pieces of music in there. <laughs> has, has any of the guys ever picked a piece out of there that you didn't think was great and they all said, wow, that's fantastic. And you, you scratched your head and went, I, I'm not seeing it. Five times a record. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, literally, I just came back from, we did, uh, we're getting ready to go into the studio on July 11th, I think is our load in. Yeah. But before we hit pre-production, we wanted to get together as a band, you know, and just say, all right, let's all get on the same page. Let's talk. Let's vibe out. Let's see where everyone's, what, what, what are you guys thinking? You know, Clint opens up his Dropbox. I open up my Dropbox. And I start playing these songs, and I'm like, all right, these guys are really going to be into this one. And they're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then we go to another one. I'm like, okay, they're not vibing on this stuff. And I accidentally hit something on my desktop. It was like one of the ones that was sort of like, ah, in case of emergency, break glass. And I hit it, and I remember Click goes, wait a minute, I love that. What is that? And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and... Sure enough, um, the next tune, same thing, next tune, same thing. So it was like literally in like a 30-minute period, I went, okay, we're not making the record I thought we were going to make, and this is awesome, because I had so much of that, you know. So, I mean, that's the beauty of the process. I was like, look, I don't have demo items. I don't know what kind of record I want to make. I know what kind of record the next projector you know, projected record I want to make is going to be. But I, you know, when you're in a band like Seven Dust, you're like, what's everyone vibing on? <laughs> and for me, it was great because it was like, oh, you know, I only had a certain amount of the thing I thought you were going to go for and everyone went for all the weird stuff. So I was like, and I literally, I, I'm sitting with one today. Like, it's everyone's favorite and I don't hear a chorus on it at all. <laughs> and I wrote the damn thing, you know what I mean? But I cannot wait. I mean, Clint was like, can you please send me these stems so that I can get to work on this? And I was like, okay. That's the beauty of having that, you know, as an option. But yeah, I mean, everyone gets to hear everything. I mean, you know, it was funny. Clint even told me, he was like, man, he was like, I was a little jealous for a couple tunes on there that I thought could have been seven dust tunes. I'm like, well, and he goes, I know, I know, I know. He goes, but it, you don't hear it until you get the whole picture and the whole presentation sometimes. You know, sometimes it's weird. It's like, I don't know, like, I, I hate relying on the sonic. Um, whatever's happened sonically because it's like the song should be strong enough just to do what it needs to do without anything you should be able to just sing it in front of someone with no bells and whistles and they either get it or they don't yeah that, that's usually where we end up but it's 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 interesting because there's those yeah, Elvis always kind of cracks up you know because he's like you're trying to just get through these right and I'm like yeah just because they haven't they haven't blossomed like they're there but I need everything in place and then you need to mix it. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, wait a minute. The two that I thought were like barely going to make the record. I watch it burn. Watch it burn. Wasn't going to make the record. You know, I was like, ah, this is, it's not working. Got with Mark for 15 minutes and it ends up being the first single in the video. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it happens all the time. I'm telling you um, like every time that I, that I, and I can almost predict it now. I'm like, all right, we're just going to have fun with this just because I'm, it's fascinating to see what people, you know, what direction they want to want to go in. Project is a little easier because I sort of pick the direction and kind of plan it. Um, but yeah, in the world of seven dust, you never know, but it makes for great projected records too. Cause I'm like, literally there were four pieces of music that I brought in that I went, 
I really like seeing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I kind of hope the guys don't go for it. <laughs> um, and I think I was two for two this time. So I was like, all right, cool. That that was a nice, you know, surprise. I've, I've, I've got two that I hadn't planned on being on the projected record. But that's, that's sort of the way it works. You know, you're drawn to music. I don't know when I'm going to do the next projected record, but I sort of have a really, really good grasp and a good idea of what the vibe is going to be and how it's, uh, you know, it, at least things that are available. Who knows what my mood and, you know, what I'm going to be into a year from now, you know. Um, but that's the, that's the cool thing about the, the whole songwriting process is you just, you log it, and then, uh, you know, it's one of those days you just open up a file and you're like, all right, feeling this one why didn't i feel it two years ago i don't know and then there's other times where you open up that you're like yep two years later i still hate it (laughs) (laughs) but i know if i play it for some one of these other knuckleheads that they're gonna go oh man that's my favorite and morgan is notorious for it no matter what the first thing out of my dropbox he picks i'm like all right we need to not finish this song (laughs) because you know it kind of puts us in the weird vibe but it's sort of it's a necessary part of the process because it's like okay the first one's almost like it's a sacrificial lamb we know it's probably not going to make it but it sort of gets the ball rolling it gets the juices flowing it's your warm-up tune so um sometimes they stick but sometimes they don't but the cool thing is you know with with having projected um and like with mark with tremani i mean he, he goes through the same thing there are times where he presents stuff to Alter Bridge and it's just like, they didn't go for it. And then it ends up on his record and then the guys are going, damn it. <laughs> Why didn't we grab that one? Um, you know, Dust. Dust was like a, a classic example. I was like, that's one of the best songs you've ever written. He goes, yeah. ah, thanks, man. And I was like, I can't believe Alter Bridge passed on that. He goes, man, it was a close one, but yeah, it was just, you know, just the nature of, of being in bands. You never know, man. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of guitars. Do you go along with the saying that every every guitar has a song in it? Um, I think so. I mean, I think different ones um, kind of inspire different things. You know, if I'm looking for a certain vibe, sometimes I'll grab the Explorer. Sometimes I'll grab my signature Explorer. And there's two totally different vibes between the guitars. I mean, even though they're they're both explorers you know, sometimes I'll grab my old Les Paul. Sometimes I'll grab one of the new Thoroughbreds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's sort of that whole thing that I go back to. It's like, it's either like trying to tune the radio station in or fishing, you know, it's like you have best intentions of catching everything when you go fishing, but you know, some days it's just not hitting. And then other days, the first, the first cast out there, boom, you know, it just lands in your lap. Um, I think picking up a guitar definitely has an effect, you know, whether I pick up this one or that one. It's going to affect the journey, 100%. Because mm. um, I, I don't know what I'm going to play until I'm sitting down. Like, there are times where it's like, I try never to, like, oh, I heard something and I want to go. Like, I don't want to hear music before I come into this room. You know what I mean? I don't want anything to influence me to go in a certain direction. Um, I kind of like to just see what happens. You just start vibing on stuff. Some days it's heavy, sometimes it's light, sometimes it's middle of the road. It's never something that I go, okay, we're going to write a, this type of song, you know, today. I don't know. It's more like Christmas. It's like, I don't know where the journey is going <laughs> to, is going to end up, but the choice of guitars definitely has a huge effect. Um, I have actually, I'm looking at half of them right now. I literally just got to the point. Um, we had so much stuff in storage. I brought all of the, um, MLs, because nobody knows that I play MLs, but I actually do play MLs quite a bit, especially in the studio. There's just more real estate there. It's just a really, really good sounding tracking guitar. Um, I've got the three of them here. I've got my two signatures, and then I have my old Les Pauls, uh, my old Explorers, the original Deans, Lost uh, 100, and then my Thoroughbreds. Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, every guitar I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, that was first seven dust and first projected. That was called Day memory. That was alpha. That was home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally going guitar to guitar and I'm going through the catalog. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's definitely a thing for me. You know, I don't think, I don't think the same song comes out of two different guitars. 
I really don't. You, you bring up guitars there, and I've been asking the guitarists th- these questions a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have the first guitar you, you ever owned? Um, okay, that's sort of a tough one. No, but I have the first one that I ever kind of laughed out loud when I bought it. Cause this is, uh, it, it's my first Les Paul. It's uh, it was a pawn shop guitar. It was two hundred seventy five bucks. It only had five tuning pegs, and the neck was unbelievable. Um, it's a studio. There's nothing fancy about this guitar at all. You've probably seen my if you've seen me uh, play a Les Paul. It's the blue um, Notre Dame guitar. Um, it's just a studio, and it was literally two hundred seventy five bucks. And I'm I'm literally holding it in my hand right now. That was probably the earliest one. My first guitar was. Um, an Ibanez RG350. And I got to be honest with you, I had no personal attachments to that guitar at all. It just, it, it was a good solid guitar. It tracked pretty well. It had a tremolo that I hated because I didn't know how to play a tremolo, but it was, you know, I was like, all right, I'm on a budget. <laughs> I need a, I need a four track and I need an amp and I need a cabinet and I need a drum machine. And then I need somebody to show me how to plug all this stuff. <laughs> you know, it, it was literally like, I, it, no exaggeration. I went to the music store and I was like, all right, it, this is it. I've been saving up for a while. I'm doing it, you know? And uh, I had a couple guys. It, it was actually um, Peter Stroud, believe it or not. <laughs> he was working at Atlanta Discount Music um, years ago. And uh, he sold me my first stuff, you know? And that, that started the journey. It was like, all right, you throw it all together and, see what works and what doesn't work. Now I'm sitting here going, wow, it came a long way from that 200 cellar guitar that had five tuning pegs. <laughs> yeah. um, have you ever gotten rid of a guitar and regretted it? Um, no. I mean, it, it's the weirdest thing in the world. I, I, I thought that I would. I really thought that I would. I sold off... Um, I think part of it is because of proximity. Um <laughs> I had two of my, like my favorite uh, Les Pauls, but they were boat anchors. Um, they were 78 and a, I think one was a, I think it was either an 80 and a 79, 78, 79. It was right around that era where literally the things are like, they're, they're 17, 18 pounds. Um, I had two with maple fretboards and I sold one that looked cool, but didn't play as good to a buddy of mine up north and then I sold the other one to Elvis so I see every time I go into the studio that guitar is there and I play it <laughs> and he strings it up for me too like he has his tech he, he throws it in B you know and I go in and I'm like alright th- this is even better because I would never have that guitar serviced and like ready to crush um, so yeah I sold it but it's 10 minutes down the road you know um yeah. It, it, I, I know where it is, so I don't have any regret on that one. Okay. Um, you know, most of them I haven't regretted because um, other than the, the Ibanez, I've got my first Les Paul. I have my first Epi Signature. I have my first Dean. I have my first Explorer. I've got a lot of firsts, and Good. they're all right here in my studio. So I, I kept most of the firsts, you know. Good. Good for you. Yeah, I've, some of the musicians I've I've asked that question just said they lost them in divorces. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it happens. It happens. You know. Yeah. I mean, Clint was like, "Dude, man, I wish I had those first two or three. And I'm like, I'm I'm very thankful that I, you know, it may not be the in hindsight, you know, if if a Les Paul guy were to walk in here, he'd probably play this guitar and be like, "Wow, this thing, it, it's a it's a strange guitar because it plays unbelievably." But you have to work on it to get it to sound quite as good as some of the other options that I have. It's not that it's bad. It's just sort of dark and it kind of, it sits in the back a bit. Um, but it's, it was the first one. <laughs> and it wrote a lot. It, I mean, it literally wrote pretty much the first record. So, yeah, if you want to know what that guitar sounds like, listen to the first Seven Dust record. Okay. Listen to Black. It wrote Black. Okay. You know. <laughs> so... No, actually, it didn't. I'm sorry. The, 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 the Ibanez, in its defense, actually wrote Black. But yeah, I mean, this guitar wrote the majority of that album. So okay. yeah, different different guitars have songs in them, for sure. Right. I, I want to ask you about singing Hypoxia, mm-hmm. the title track. Um, the emotion behind it. 
Um, I'm going to use an example of someone that I interviewed. I interviewed a guy called Jason Slater. He produced uh, Jeff Tate. And he said the thing with Jeff was he had no problem hitting the notes. It was conveying the emotion behind it was the issue. How do you get yourself in a headspace to actually pull that off? Because it's a pretty angry song. Yeah. Um, got a couple things. Like on the first record, I, you know, I knew enough to be dangerous. I knew how to operate, you know, Pro Tools. Um, obviously, I know how to write a song. Don't really know how to do much in, in the vocal process whatsoever. Other than I know to open and stuff comes out. And after I do it for like an hour, it hurts. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's like, okay, you know how to be the backup singer, but it, it, it was a totally different thing. I was like, I've never really focused on the vocal thing. And I shorter, you know, it would probably be a good idea to do it. I did it a little bit. Uh, most of the first record was like, they were, I mean, most of the takes I probably wouldn't be keeping today only because I either wouldn't go that far to get to that take or I would get there earlier because um, this record was a, a major change because when I went into the studio, all of the all of the, the words, all the lyrics, all the melodies were written. So when I was heard, opened up the Dropbox file, he heard songs. It was like, okay, you know, obviously we tweaked, we produced you know he got in and he, he was like what, what if we did this instead or what if we move the melody here or what if you put this harmony you know a lot of times it'd be like just 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 hear me out try it <laughs> and you do it and you're like oh fascinating this is you know this is just exactly what we needed to do but um i, I did a lot of rehearsal you know it, it was one of those things like when we loaded into the studio it was like okay, this is the first time I'm ever going to be under the microscope. It's the first time I'm ever going to have a producer actually produce, like, you know, me not engineer. I'm not used to just sitting in there with the headphones on and having someone engineer it. And then someone helped me actually go through the parts. So I figured, here's a killer opportunity. Um, I remember Elvis came in there, like, two or three days before I was going to start singing. And he, he kind of popped the door up and was like, what are you working on, man? I was like, just singing. He goes new stuff and i was like no i'm just rehearsing and he was like oh <laughs> i was like i don't want to read these lyrics like i would prefer to just get up there and sing the song and he was like oh yeah it was like okay cool so it was like i i sort of did enough rehearsal on the front end to where there wasn't you know sometimes when you got 12 pieces of music it's like oh wait a minute that's no this is in a different thing hang on different vibe different you know it, your head's sort of all over the place so did a lot of rehearsal you know I, I rehearsed these songs and that one in particular was one of the ones where i was like okay we're doing that last <laughs> just just in case i can't come back because there's two ways that you can do that vocal thing yeah there's the one way which does not it's more of a trick than um just pushing and then there's the push way and unfortunately in the studio it's like such a marginal thing but the push way does sound a little bit better but it's it's not limitless <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. it literally is one of those things where it's like okay you're on the edge you know i've given myself the migraine can i just go back to the other way is like no, no no you got it you got to keep doing it and i was like all right you know but we sort of knew um and we set the whole thing up everything was you know i did my homework got in there um so i was confident you know confidence was definitely up and then you know i was, was just like all right man sell it I want to believe it. I want to believe it. You know, mm. sounds like you're reading the lyrics. I'd be like, all right, hang on a second. Let me, you know, and then you just dump it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, a totally different process because I actually, I did things that singers are supposed to do. I started drinking tea. I started warming up and just started singing a lot more. Like, just sing. It's you know, muscle. it's like, yeah, you got you to exercise it's, it. It's a muscle. You have to exercise it a certain amount. Talking does X, but it doesn't, it doesn't equate to Z. And the, the crazy thing is once you're, once you're in that mode, <laughs> it's not that it's effortless, but it's like things that were challenging aren't challenging because it's, it's just working. You know, your, your voice is just, it's like anything else. It's like, you can't expect it to just be on demand. Like you can't just, Miles will tell you straight up. He's like, I'm not walking in and singing that right now. I was like, I need, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've got to go through my drill. I've got to open it up. I, this is, you know, he's driving a Ferrari over there. You know what I mean? Like his voice is like, you better take care of it because if you mess it up, 
and I guess we're not playing a show, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing to, you know, as a guitar player, boop, broke a string. Cool. Give me another guitar. Yeah. Well, the singer, you're not doing that. So hypoxia was one of those ones where I went, okay, I need to make sure that I can do it the other way, all the way from start to finish. Um, and I did, I mean, it was like effortless on the demos when I handed it to the guys, it was just like, okay. And it's much easier on the voice to do it. But yeah, for that one, we were like, all right, we want to go from, we want to go from <laughs> your soul on this one. Yeah. You know, this one should hurt a little bit. So that, that one definitely left a mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, on this album, again, you've got some collaborations like Mark Tremonti is one of them. How do you, when do you know when to collaborate on a song and how do you choose the people to collaborate on for each particular track? Um, the one with Morgan was an obvious one because we had, it was one of the last demos on one of our last writing sessions. We didn't have a ton of time, but it was one of those things that was like, all right, if we were going to do the metal thing, what would we do with it? And we didn't use it. And it was just sort of like one of those things where I went, oh, you know, and when I did the revisit on it, I was like, you know, I had Lejean singing because, you know, Morgan wrote the part and we put LJ's voice on it. It was like, okay, it's cool, but it wasn't like earth shattering for whatever reason. So, you know, I pulled it out, I don't know, a year, year and a half after I'd heard it the first time. I was like, you know what, let me throw my voice on it just to see. And it was, it was one of those wheelhouse things. I was like, oh man, this is like right in my zone. This sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> so I hit up Morgan. I was like, hey man, you want to do a co-write? He was like, sure. I was like, cool, man, done. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean done? I was like, you remember Dead Weight? He goes, you sang that? And I sent it to him, and he was like, dude, he goes, you sound really good singing that. That needs to go on the record. And I was like, all right, you know, and then fast forward all the way, and it's the opening track. Okay. So you're like, all right, you never know. Clint was one of those things where we had discussed doing something, but I didn't want it to be in, like, the seven dust vein as much because – Part of it would be, all right, like, can people hear it or can we hide it? So Dark was an obvious choice because that was one that I had a I had an okay chorus for it. It wasn't great. It wasn't earth shattering. His perspective on it was like completely fresh. It put me in a just a different starting place. And then the melody line that, that he threw over that was, I mean, it was perfect. So it was one of those ones I, I, I played it for the guys. I actually had his demo because that was the only one that it was like the chorus was a question mark. I remember I walked out, E-Rock was standing there, Elvis was standing there, Vinny was standing there, and I just hit the demo. It was Clint just singing that chorus part, and they held their arms up. The hairs stood straight up on their arms. I was like, right? And I went in and I sang it the next day, um, sent it over to him, and it was like, all right, done, check the box. So that one was kind of like, you know, he, he helped me uh, save a song that, arguably one of my favorite songs on the record as far as a piece of music goes, but it was just like, it just, it needed that breath of fresh air. And that's exactly what it was. Um, same thing with Mark, you know, I'll, I'll just get frustrated with, sometimes it's just the same old, same old. It's not that the part's bad. It's just, I'm sick and tired of hearing my own shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's just cool to give it to someone that you respect because the beauty with Mark is it's always an instinct knee jerk reaction. Like it, it's one of the most honest things. There's, there's not a lot of thought that goes into that immediate reaction and then he shapes it and then he'll put the vocals to it and then he'll give it to you. And then you go, thank you <laughs> because I was ready. I was ready to delete the song. He's, he's done it time and time again. He did it on watch it burn. The song was off the record. I mean, it was not making it because I, I was struggling with the chorus. I was just like, the chorus is not as good. Everything else was great. And the chorus was a letdown. You know, I was like, it's too good a piece of music to let go to waste. Um, he did it on Rectify. And uh, there was another song on the last record he co-wrote on. But Rectify was a big one. Okay, That was the one that was like, all right. And then My Addiction, same thing. And the funny thing is, <laughs> there's people that have hit me up. They're like, man, is that Mark singing? And I'm like, nobody wrote it, so it should definitely have a Mark Tremonti vibe about it. You know, people hear my addiction and are like, sounds like it, that could be on a Tremonti record. I'm like, 100%, it should. You know, that's that's his melody. But you know, for, for this record, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I was like, I have I have these these opportunities that sort of just. It wasn't like we said, all right, let's go do a bunch of co-writes. It was like, all right, wait a minute. <laughs> we have really good musicians that are making great music over stuff that I was thought was junk. 
or like in in Clint's case, one that I was so passionate about, I was like, let's not let this go to waste. Okay. Um, so okay. yeah, I mean, m- most times it's sort of the song that drives me to wherever it is. You know. Have you have you heard Mark Tremonti's Frank Sinatra record? Hey, this is Mark Tremonti from Tremonti, and you're tuned into Focus on Metal. And if you want to hear all about that particular album then you can head over and check out episode 539 of our show where Richie talks with Mark all about the entire Sinatra process. And again, that's up at focusonmetalpod.com, over at iTunes, or of course on Amazon Music. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's been a pleasure being able to see that start from nothing to go all the way through and just you know i saw him when he first got into the sinatra thing i i saw him when he first started his research i mean he spent money on gear you know and went so far down the rabbit hole and just watching it go from nothing to i was like he's gonna do this i was like for sure and it's not just he's gonna make a sinatra record he's gonna do it with sinatra's guys <laughs> you know what i mean he's gonna do it with the orchestra the whole drill yeah i mean it, it, it was such such a cool thing because it's like totally unexpected but very cool <laughs> if you were to do something left field like that what would it sound like oh man that's a really really hard one um I don't know. I mean, it's tears for fears. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people would be like, well, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I, I could probably go and live in that world for a minute. Uh, you know, there's something that is so cool about, you know, th- that whole Duran Duran tears for fears era where it was all, it was all keyboards. It was keyboards and programming, but, there was really cool melodies that were happening, you know, it was like sort of anti-guitar music. So I understand why guitar players weren't into it, but I was like, man, there's some phenomenal songwriting going on. Um, it, it would probably be something weird like that, you know. Okay. Journey's too predictable. Metallica is too predictable. Um, but yeah, like as far as if you were going to go through my playlist, you'd be like, there's a lot of late 80s, you know, stuff going on here. I'm like, yeah, it's just, good songs hey, music moves you it doesn't matter what, what style it yeah. is if, it, uh-huh. if you like uh-huh. it you like it yeah that's it like LJ, LJ with country music he loves country music yeah <laughs> it's, it's just you know he loves it and he does too and it's like I don't turn it off but it's not something that I like I don't have it on a playlist you know once in a blue moon maybe but yeah I mean it's it's cool when you go and you spend time over there and you're like alright this is cool yeah you know so have you have Projected ever done a live show at all Yes, we did on the first record, and then the planets just did, have not lined up um, okay. until now, which is good because Seven Dust is going to be. Uh, we're doing one short run in September. We've got a couple of radio shows. I think the Blue Ridge uh, Festival, and I think we're doing Louder Than Life at the end of the month. But basically, from October until around April, we're not going to be touring. We may do a couple shows around the holidays or something like that, but. We got an opening, and uh, Ultra Bridge has a record coming out. <laughs> so, you know, Flip's like, damn it, I'm going to be pulling double duty, aren't I? I'm like, maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, but Seven of Us is coming right behind. I mean, we're not far. Um, literally, Ultra Bridge just got out of the studio. We're hopping into the studio. So we're only behind those guys maybe like by a month or so. Mm. I think the planets are going to line up this time, and I think we're going to have an Ultra Bridge, Seven Dust, you know, Tremonti, Call me no one. Projected Clint Morgan. You know, it's like there's an opportunity for something really, really, really cool. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm so hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time that we've had this window of opportunity, and it's also the first time that we've got um, we've got a common manager between all the bands. You know, Tim over at Janice <laughs> manages. He manages. Yeah. And his eyes on the ball. So he's like, and he understands how these things work between, he's really, really good at the side project thing. You know, coming from the Alter Bridge camp, he's used to, you know, keeping up with Slash and Guns N' Roses and, you know, Mark and Alter Bridge and what's going on over here, you know, is Flip doing anything with Projected. So now, I mean, he called me up on the last record. He goes, why aren't we touring this? And I'm like, you tell me. And he goes, all right, we got to prioritize this. I was like, well, yeah, 100%, let's do it. I was like, unfortunately, 
double duty is going to happen in this band. You know, it's it's not so cut and dry. Someone's going to pull double duty unless we're not going out with, you know, Alter Bridge or Seven Dust, which would probably make the most sense because at least we've got <laughs> we yeah. know where they are the, the, you know, the, i know where Vinny is you're on tour you know one, it's like it's not thing, like you're doing anything the, else the one thing probably someone might have said is you know maybe if three of you can do it you can get one other guy in as a replacement has that been even yeah thought about? we've we've thought about it it's been one of those things where i was like you know what um i wouldn't mind it if we <laughs> I want some shows Yeah, <laughs> with these four guys. Unfortunately, like I want the first ones to be the band. Yeah. I don't want the first ones to be some other dude because he's out on tour. Unless the tour really made a lot of sense. You know, if it was a big enough tour where we were like, all right, well, this is a hard one to pass up, but we, we haven't had anything that was intriguing enough to make us want to want to make that move. We've had the discussion because it has come up a couple of times, but never enough for it was worth it. Okay. Um, I want the first experience to be the honest, you know, this is the, this is us, you know, this band sounds like us because there's four very distinct sounds and personalities coming out of it. And everybody is important, you know, very important. Some other guitar player out there is not going to be playing like E-Rock does. You know, another bass player would sort of get close and flip is sort of a style unto himself, you know, which sort of gives projected the sound that it is. You know, his feel is just, it's a signature thing. I, coming from a drumming background, the importance of a drummer in a band can't be, you know, stressed enough. It's that feel is what sells it. And that's the beauty of, you know, being stuck between two amazing drummers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Morgan Rose and Scott Phillips don't play remotely the same, but they have a very distinct style. Um, each one has his, has his thing, you know. Well, the, the, as, a, as a fan now, that, and I'll just finish on this, John, the one thing I'd find important if I went to see you guys play is just to play projected music. I wouldn't want you to play songs from the other bands that you guys are in. Right. Um, that's sort of something that we've discussed. I don't think that I... I don't know that I would feel comfortable doing a 7 Dust song. And it, that's more of a respect thing, you know. It's like that... If Seven Dust was no longer around and someone was like pushing for a song to go into the set, it would be something that would be considered, but it would still be a little weird for me. Same thing with Mark. He's like, I'm not singing an Alter Bridge song. <laughs> he goes, Alter Bridge is still a band. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. Seven Dust is still a band. So it's like, there's no point in me visiting that. Clint had an exception, and his exception was um, Angel Sun and Christmas Day, only because Christmas Day was written about his mother. Um, very personal song and it definitely belonged in the show and then Angel Son you know that was so, that existed outside of the world of Seven Dust but it, no he's not going to do Denial and Waffle and you know Trust or anything like that it, it's no it, it's one of those things where I, I would just rather let one thing be and uh, have it just be its own thing yeah. you know I mean <laughs> you know I mean E-Rock would be like hey man let's do a Chimone song you know and Flip would be like, well, let's just do an Alter Bridge song. Fuck it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it, it it'd be weird. It'd be like, no, this is just, we got enough material. Yeah, you, you know, easily. You know what I mean? We got too much. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. So, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. Um, Thanks, man. Do you want to tell people where they can go and buy the record? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rat Pack uh, Records. Rat Pack Records, uh, you can hit us up on Facebook, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. But Rat Pack is going to be uh, home base for pretty much everything. We've even got the first record over there on Rat Pack uh, as well. So all projected music exists on Rat Pack. Mm. Well, I, personally, John, I think the album's brilliant. Love it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. And, uh, you know, have a good rest of the day. And if you get out my way, uh, I'll hopefully get backstage and say hello to you. Yes, sir. All right, man. All right. Take care. Okay. All right, big thanks to John Connolly for once again coming on Focus on Metal, giving us the uh, incredibly detailed lowdown on Projected's latest one, Hypoxia. And again, like I said at the beginning of the show, still available up at Rat Pack Records, and you can get the deluxe bundle, the deluxe fan bundle, just the vinyl, just the CD, just like I said, lots of good stuff up there for 
you know, anything that uh, Rat Pack puts out. I swear to God, I think if, if Rat Pack had an option where you could just get, automatically get every single release they put out, I would probably sign up for it because I get pretty much every single release that they put out. In some cases, as Richie will tell you, on CD and on vinyl. Good stuff. And again, that is at Rat Pack Records America dot com slash projected for all of the good shit coming out of John Connolly and company. And as I always try to note, when you do Rat Pack, it's R-A-T-P-A-K. So that will do it for uh, this episode of Focus on Metal. I'm thinking that potentially the uh, the next show you guys will be hearing will be a very long interview, or actually it's not even an interview, let's call it a discussion, because that's uh, that is kind of what it is. And uh, that is uh, Richie and another uh, another guy on the uh, Focus on Metal staff you hear every so often. That is uh, Brian Heaton, and they are talking all about the Queensryche album here in the now frontier. And, uh, you know, you probably have heard Brian on the show before talking about Queensryche. He is pretty much the resident Queensryche expert. And he's also one of the uh, co-authors of Building an Empire, which is an incredibly detailed biography of Queensryche, and also the guy that runs the uh, website anybodylistening.net, which uh, he terms a uh, Queensryche retrospective. So I'm thinking, unless something else slides in unexpected, that is probably the next thing you'll be hearing with us right here on Focus on Metal. And always great to have Brian on the show. So, uh... Looking forward to rolling that one out for you guys. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next time, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.